This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Coronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Welcome back to Coronial. I'm Georgie. I'm Emma. And I'm Alice. And today I'm going to be discussing the death of Michael Wilson, who died on the 24th of December, 2011. Oh, Oh, it's a Christmas one! It is a Christmas one. (laughs) He was a 42-year-old gentleman at the time of his death, a beloved husband, father, and colleague. So really bad time of year for this to happen. So i got to tell you a little bit of another story to set the scene. On this day, on the 24th of December, two men set off canyoning at the Bridal Vale Falls, 150 kilometres southwest of Sydney. Is it canyoning? Canyoning. 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 Okay. Canyoning. So is that like, like what's canyoning? Canyoning. Cave diving but without the diving? So it's just caving? From, or from what it... I can tell, canyoning is essentially just where there's cliffs and waterfalls and a canyon. They go explore, okay. including with ropes and Right, okay, so a little bit of bushwalking, bit of abseiling. So it's like reverse hiking. No, it's like hiking on extreme. Hiking plus. I don't know where they start from, so I don't know if they've had to go up to get there. Not true. Like extreme hiking. I don't know what hikes you go on, but I don't go down cliffs when I hike. People do. It just said canyoning, and I just accepted that as some sort of thing that people like to do with their spare time. I've never heard of someone go canyoning before. So the Bridal Vale Falls consist of two adjoining waterfalls with cliffs either side. And so the men decided to abseil down these cliffs, which have a vertical drop of about 70 to 80 metres from the top of the cliff to the base of the falls. Okay. Unfortunately, during abseiling down on one of these cliffs, a rope failure caused one of the men to fall about 10 metres, resulting in significant leg and back pain and his need for rescue. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, he basically he, he couldn't get up from where yeah. he was. So and they're gonna need the to. mate he was with was like, that's not ideal. So he quite quickly after was carrying the thing that Trevor should have been carrying with him. The EPUB. A well, uh yeah, EPUB, but this coronial inquest they refer to it as an emergency personal locator beacon or PLB. Oh, okay. But it's same, same. same thing. And so that sent off the request for rescue. It was during the canyoners' rescue mission that Mr. Wilson sadly lost his life as he was working as a special casualty access team. SCAT, paramedic. Paramedic who goes to the people who are in the top of the awkward top locations. Yeah. Right. Like on the side of a cliff, at the bottom of a cliff. So when you said SCAT, I thought that was another. SCAT is just a short the, term. Um, and yeah, I yeah. thought that was another word that oh, you were using sorry, to describe no. it. And I was like, no. what is that? No. So I'm going to say SCAT throughout and we're going to accept that that's just the specialist paramedic. Okay. So Mr. Wilson had been an employee of the ambulance service for New South Wales for over 15 years. And during this time, it also then trained at that upper level. And so he had provided support to patients located in difficult and remote locations. The activation of the PLB notified a rescue coordination centre known as the RCC and what I'll refer to it from now on, which is based in Canberra. And so this was outside of Sydney that the men had their issue or the single canyon had his issue. RCC then contacted the number registered with the PLB, which ended up being the wife of the non-injured canyoner. Okay. So it was the non-injured canyoners, PLB, 
And obviously, presumably, you register it with a different person because you're the one carrying it. You don't want it calling you because yeah. you don't have a phone on you or you're not in reception. The or your point of having it. Too injured to, to answer the to, phone. To do anything about it. She responded stating that the two men were overdue from return from their day's activities and hence the RCC proceeded with this is probably real. Yeah. And continued with an emergency response. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I guess they wanted to know, did you accidentally hit your PLB while you were in the garage or Yeah, like you were packing it away and you accidentally set it activated off. it. I, yeah. I assume that there is like a some sort of like – cancel function if you accidentally press it or like a more specified way that you actually activate it that yeah. it could just accidentally be knocked but i don't know how they work so their response was to notify the new south wales ambulance service and the new south wales police okay and then due to the location it being in a canyon the new south wales ambulance then also immediately contacted their aeromedical operations center which is kind of another portion of their organization some quick background is that the New South Wales Ambulance Service contract a company called Canadian Helicopter Corporation or CHC for the provision of the aeromedical ambulance services. So the actual helicopter portion of it is CHC mm-hmm. and then they employ paramedics and a medical officer to actually go on that flight. Mm-hmm. So ultimately gotcha. the aeromedical operations would typically include a helicopter pilot that is part of the helicopter company yep. a winch operator which is part of the helicopter company and then a medical officer and an ambulance paramedic yep that makes sense so the nearest available helicopter was located at bankston airport which is just in the outer areas of sydney and so a team was tasked from there and this was team known as rescue 24 and mr wilson was the scout paramedic for this team however prior to departing from the airport he requested to travel with an additional paramedic due to the potential complexity of the mission in response to it being a canyoning incident. Mm. Hence, the second paramedic was also deployed with the team, but this was not standard. And at this point, a ground-based backup team was also requested. So the rescue helicopter set off at 5.16. Now, I want to mention that there was no point in time defined for when this initial incident actually occurred. Right. So I don't know what the time frame before the rescue helicopter set off, but it was 5.16 p.m. when they did set off. Oh, yeah. Okay. So potentially the incident happened at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. or 4.30. Yeah, I don't know. And the wife said that they were overdue for return, so yeah. I presume it was afternoon time yep. that it happened. Because it wouldn't be an instant response or, or ability to get that rapid, but, yeah, getting a helicopter to take off, I would have assumed, would have taken a bit of time. Yeah. The helicopter was fitted with specific equipment that enables a helicopter to track and then hone in on the electronic distress signal coming from a PLB, which I think is super cool. Yeah, that's a really so great it way of doing it. Essentially, could just take him to where they needed to go. Yep. And no worries, happy days. It's going to where it needs to go. Yeah, so hence they went to the correct location. A duty manager from SCAT, the paramedic specialist service, traveled to an alternate location by ground. And this is because the wife accidentally gave an incorrect location when notifying the RCC as to where the men had planned to go that day. It's unclear. It didn't state, you know, was she just misremembering? Did she, did they get in the car, drive somewhere and then be like, actually, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Unclear. But then no one clarified where the PLB went off in relation to where she had disclosed that the men were. And so that other paramedic just went to where she disclosed they were, which was not actually Mm. anywhere near. It was actually a hundred kilometers away from 
where the incident had actually occurred. Right. So they've got no ground backup at that point. Yeah. Because it's 100 But he's also away. just one single duty manager. So he's not really backup per se. He's just mm. like, I'll meet you there. But also I won't meet you there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the main thing was that no one cross-checked the satellite information mm. to confirm. So the helicopter landed at 5.35. So it was like 20 minutes later. And found the uninjured canyoner waiting at the top of the falls. Oh, yeah. To, you know, flag him down, et cetera. And then at that point they noted the injured man was lying face down on a ledge about 10 to 15 metres above the base of the falls. So we're looking at 65 to 70 metres below the top. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. when he fell, he fell onto a ledge. He didn't. He didn't make it all the way to the yeah, bottom. Yeah, okay. No. But there was also an overhanging ledge above him that meant that the rescue crew couldn't just drop down into the canyon throw out a winch with the paramedic, the paramedic drop onto the ledge that Mm. he was on and then they just winch him out because a winch obviously needs to travel vertically. Yep, it can't go around. It cannot go around the overhanging ledge. Yeah, so they were like, okay, we can't just simply winch you out. We're going to have to figure this out. So they went and just landed in a nearby paddock to further plan what they were going to do. So what they planned to do that was in a discussion between all of them, but I guess – mostly the paramedics who had the most experience in terms of that side of things because mm. the pilot, he's like, I just drive the helicopter. Yeah, I can tell you I just fly. Fly. fly it, yeah. Fly it. Um, yeah, he's <laughs> okay. like, I can tell you what I can and can't do from yeah. an access perspective. But And, I'd- again, then, you know, the winching operator can be like, I can tell you what the winch can do but mm. in terms of other logistics and then also caring for the patient. So it sounds like it came down to mostly the paramedics in that instance. And I imagine the medical officer was just like, I'm here once the patient arrives to me. Because <laughs> I assume that the medical officer is not trained in any of the significant canyoning aspects of it. Mm, yeah, probably not anything. specifically. Yeah. No. Just there as a medical assistant. Yeah, once they're in the helicopter, they, I will yeah. take lead or whatever. So the plan was that the two paramedics would be winched down to the top of the falls and then following this, Mr. Wilson could then abseil down to the canyoner. Okay. Then they would adapt an extraction procedure that would allow them to overcome that overhanging bit. And basically, again, feel free to read in detail if this is your jam because I'm just going to give you a very simple understanding of how I got this. But he needed to get horizontally out before he could then go vertically up. Yeah, they they almost needed to like – Put him in the basket thing, yeah. attach the winch with a whole bunch of slack and then, what, push him outwards and then he goes up? Look, I like your foreshadowing here, but no, essentially what they planned to do was a stabilising line that was horizontal uh-huh. and then, yes, it'd do exactly that of get get you out but in a more stable manner. Okay. Gotcha. Not just push. Yeah. <laughs> not just yeah. push. Not just um, swing you because out. Because the winch could only operate up to a 15-degree angle of pivot from its direct horizontal. Yep, and you don't want him swinging wildly around as the winch is trying to go up. You do not. You do not want anyone swinging wildly. So they decided that they would essentially establish a belaying line that would be a stabilising line to do that horizontal bit before they could then go vertically and avoid that overhanging cliff and allow the helicopter to come down to the point that it could then winch them safely up. Yep. Along with this, they also made the slight backup plan that Mr. Wilson would go down with some overnight gear. And so if things didn't go to plan, he'd have the overnight gear. Him and the injured canyoner could hang out on that ledge for that night and then further attempts to be made in the morning. Wow. 
that's commitment. Yeah, I was going to say that's dedication mm. to your job. Like, obviously, that's part of it. That's, for that's his job. Yeah. It was at this point as well that the rescue pilot said, you know, we need to do this before it gets dark. It's, dark. it's getting dark. Yeah. If, it's, if it's after dark, we can't do this. Yeah. The plan was discussed amongst that team. They all agreed with it, but then they also discussed it with the SCAT coordinator, the one who didn't drive to where they were meant to go, <laughs> or to them, uh, along with another rescue pilot, some more SCAT paramedics, and the RCC team as well. Okay. And then the plan went ahead. Okay. So everyone agreed that this was a reasonable plan. No one disagreed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no one gave that, any no one came. Yeah, no one came up with anything better. The coroner was pretty critical that someone at this point should have been like, that's a bad plan, don't do that. Right, okay. Someone should have said no. But no one did. Comes to similar points of what has previously been presented around one of the arguments that I think it was one of the paramedics put out was, but they weren't in that position, so they expected the people that were there on site to know what was going to be safe and mm. okay and reasonable. Because they had a better and understanding so, of the conditions. Exactly. And so they were like, well, I didn't say no because I trusted them to know what was going to be suitable based on where they were. Yeah, which I understand. Yeah, so it's, it's hard from that perspective. So at 6.45, the two paramedics were dropped at the top of the falls and it was by 7.30 that Mr. Wilson made it down to the canyoner. He examined the canyoner who had reported leg and back pain, as I mentioned, and these were identified to be non-life-threatening nor time-critical. Okay. And out of interest, they were found to be as a result of a lower back fracture. Oh, okay. Moderate. He's never Still gonna... serious. Yes. But yes. he's not immediately going to die. Yeah. So at 8.20 p.m., the helicopter arrived back at the falls, so it dropped the paramedics initially. It just chilled for a little bit back at the paddock and then came back to... Didn't know how long he was going to be down there looking and examining the, the canyoner and deciding how to get things set up. So at this point in time, Mr. Wilson was in communication with the helicopter, but not the other paramedic who had was at the top of the falls. Mm-hmm. And this was due to accidental water damage to the satellite telephone. So they each had a telephone, but one unfortunately got dropped and was not working. And so right. therefore they had to press on with, without being in communication with each other. And there was no mobile reception, so they couldn't otherwise communicate with their mobiles either. So that was less than ideal that they couldn't communicate. Part of this plan that I didn't mention, though, was the way that, because I said he had to go horizontally before he could go vertically, the way to get that vertical winch from the helicopter down to where Mr. Wilson was, again, because of that overhanging ledge, what they actually did was feed it to the top paramedic. Mm -hmm. And then that top paramedic already had a line connecting him to Mr. Wilson down on the ledge. So the top paramedic connected the winch to that line. Then it went back to where the helicopter was. And then Mr. Wilson was able to haul it in with the rope that he had because it was attached. So the helicopter had to go over the top of the falls first, drop the winch to the first paramedic, connect it up, then go back into the middle of the canyon where it would ultimately be doing the actual rescue from, at which point it could then lower down the winch and then the winch could be dragged to where Mr. Wilson was. The plan was it would stay lax or without any tension on it until he eventually got to directly below the helicopter, at which point the tension could be put on it to then drag them vertically up. Okay. So it was connected by that paramedic and then Mr. Wilson was able to haul it into him. And so at that point, the helicopter then commenced its descent into the gorge. But due to the setting sun and the rescue occurring in a gorge, it ultimately was in darkness by this point. Even though there were still 
last light of the sun setting because the sun was due to set at 8.07, but last light wasn't until 8.40. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're in a canyon. Yeah, you're losing light quickly. Well, essentially the moment they dropped into the gorge, it was black. It was darkness. Oh, wow. Because the sun was no longer creating any kind of light. Yeah. Yeah. And so – because of this, the helicopter sort of struggled to figure out how, where it was going to position itself. The pilot was struggling to find like a fixed point to then create a hover point and all that kind of stuff had to be directed by the winch operator to help with that. And then the winch operator was having trouble seeing Mr. Wilson on the ledge because it was dark. dark. Yeah. The helicopter ended up finding a position to hover and it was a 45-degree angle from the ledge, mm-hmm. about 20 metres above and 25 to 30 metres out from the cliff edge. And of note, the helicopter at this point was configured for night flying, despite the fact the pilot was like, we can't do this after dark. Right. What does configured for night flying mean? Like, I think they'd probably change some the, settings yeah, or something. Yeah, helicopter settings, I guess, that allow for the helicopter. Like, I mean, it, it had enough technology that it could hone in on where the yeah, beacon was. Fair. So yeah, I, I assume there must be some. It's probably got some sort of technology to help it navigate. Yeah. At night or something. When yeah. I drive using Google Maps, when it's dark, it changes to a different colour. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it might be a little bit more complex than that. Probably. Lights are on. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Do you just say that they're turning the lights on for the helicopter? I don't know. But clearly it has a configuration for night and day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would assume it would, but I just... Yeah. And it's just an interesting point given that the pilot was like, we definitely won't do this after dark. But yeah. So as I said, he grabbed the hook that came from the winch that was all good so then they started to make their way off the ledge and at this point the injured canyoner was in a sitting position across the front of mr wilson and that was the position that they planned to so you were talking about like a, a the basket basket that's that they right put them in no yep. they actually were going to strap it they strapped him to like mr wilson's chest so that ah. they were paired as one so essentially it's like a baby carriage at his chest like yeah. but with but the patient with an adult and of note, the injured canyoner was given earplugs and goggles for safety from the helicopter noise. Yep. And mm-hmm. But there was still a lot of waterfall spray. It was quite wet around mm. and all that kind of stuff. At this point, it was when, and it's unclear why, Mr. Wilson and his attached canyoner fell from the ledge a short distance. And then because they were attached to the winch that was 45 degree angle, they ultimately swung in a pendulum motion until they struck boulders on the other side of the canyon. Oh, no. And then came to rest atop of a boulder, 30 metres above the base. And at this point they're still attached to the winch? Yes. It's just that the winch, there's not enough. It's 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 too slack. Yeah, Yeah, it's too slack. And because it was the pendulum, they dropped down before they swung out Mm -hmm. as well. Following this incident, the helicopter was unable to reestablish radio communication either because it wasn't on him anymore or because he was too injured and the yep. canyoner was not able to provide assistance either. Were yep. they still attached to each other? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Wilson took entirety of the impact. Right. right. Just with the way that, that they they, he, they were when they swung. Yep. Yeah. And so because they couldn't communicate with him anymore, the winch was still attached, so they had to cut that cable and then they had to withdraw from the gorge because they were like – we have no ability to do anything they anymore. They can't just start winching up when they don't know what's going no. on. It yeah. might be snagged. It might It might damage the helicopter, yeah. all that kind of stuff. We don't know what's going on. So they went back to the paddock, notified the rest of the teams, etc. that things had gone poorly. Yep. And was the other paramedic still at the top? top of the, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think he also probably just got abandoned there because, again, they had yep. to cut the winch. No more winch. And so, yeah, and they rounded up further ground services to yep. assist 
Heroically, that rescue paramedic that remained at the top of the falls, along with another paramedic that arrived via ground deployment, laid an abseil down in the dark, might I add, to the injured pair. But unfortunately, they found Mr. Wilson had sustained extensive blunt trauma injuries that he ultimately later succumbed to at the scene. Yeah. I'm assuming Um, some pretty major head injuries. Was he wearing a helmet? I think he was wearing a helmet. I think it was actually pelvic trauma that was the main thing. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was head trauma. I think, okay. Yeah, I think it was other abdominal and pelvic trauma. And it was then the next day that a new plan was made and they were then rescued out of the canyon. Wow. And so the, the guy who was injured with his fractured back spine, how did he go? with? Did he get any more injuries as a result of that? It didn't say. It just said that he had a fractured back. That was causing his leg and back pain. Yeah, okay. But it didn't say any more. Therefore, it suggests that it was entirely Mr. Wilson that yeah that took, took the, that impact. Yeah, it would have been very interesting the paramedics then like unstrapping the injured fella from the other from injured person. Their- well, I don't know whether he could have done that himself because he would have been sitting there with Mr. Wilson for a while before the new paramedics were able to Absolutely. abseil down. Or before further yeah, paramedics were able to sail down. He, yeah, he may have been able he may to. have been able to, but he was also yeah. injured himself. Yeah. And probably in shock. Yeah, that's terrifying. Like, I mean, the yeah. whole situation is really stressful, mm. let alone you're then. He then yeah. fell further. Yeah. Mm. Like he's already fallen once today. Yep. So then he falls a second time and someone, yeah. he knows that the person who's there to rescue him is injured the yep. person, quite yeah. badly. Oh, yeah. And that must, oh, you must feel terrible being like, this person came to rescue me. Yeah. Exactly. And has now died. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds so horrible. And it's Christmas Eve. Mm. And it's Christmas Eve. Presumably, yeah, they winched Mr. Wilson out at the same time. And it didn't state, like, maybe it was much easier from that location in terms of there wasn't an overhanging ledge It probably was, yeah. Yeah. Because if he's just on a boulder on the other side of the canyon. Yeah. It was also daylight, though, so yeah. also mm, that helps. easier to assess. Yeah. And four people down there now. Mm. Three. So two of, well, yeah. <laughs> One's to see. Two uninjured people. Yeah. So detailed investigations were completed by the Australian Transport Safety Bureau who produced a transport safety assessment. The CHC also did one and the New South Wales Ambulance Service. And so this inquest had like a 10-page document that was like what the New South Wales Ambulance Service had done as a result of this as well, which was not a super exciting read. So the principal issues investigated by the coroner included the coordination of the arrangements for this instance and if they're in accordance with the national search and rescue response arrangements in force at the time if the rescue response was in accordance with safe operation procedures of the new south wales ambulance service and the chc helicopters and how mr wilson fell from the ledge so the coordination of the rescue two rescue manuals designed to promote rapid and safe search and rescue responses in circumstances such as what happened on this day, and they call for coordination between Commonwealth and state authorities because RCC, the initial PLB place in Canberra, was a Commonwealth authority. Gotcha. Versus the other two were state authorities. Mm -hmm. So Rescue 24 ended up being the sole response deployed to the falls despite the operation extending over a period of 3.5 hours before Mr Wilson suffered his fatal injuries. And so that was a part that the coroner was pretty critical about. That, so it was one helicopter and that was it mm. that was deployed on that day. So 
RCC were also the only authority responsible for coordinating this rescue up until Mr. Wilson had his accident, at which point the New South Wales police took over. And, again, the coroner was kind of quite critical, being like, well, don't police coordinate search and rescue mm. yeah. events generally? Yeah. Isn't that something that they're well-known to do and might have some expertise in? Yeah, well-trained to do as well. Yeah. And so why it wasn't sort of like handed over or coordinated better with them along the way was quite a concern. Mm. Was this like a national park or? I think so. Like were there any like park ranges I don't know about that, actually. Anything, didn't go into like anything any like people that. who were more knowledgeable about the area? No, nah, not anyone involved about that, but it didn't necessarily mention if there were any park ranges or anything available. But also they didn't know where they were going because... True. <laughs> yeah. But maybe the park ranger could have helped them with that. Yeah. So the RCC saw that its coordinating role was just to get their medical response alone and then just notify the other two people. And then after that they were like... Yeah, yeah, we're just coordinating the helicopter. That's all we're doing. And it was their understanding that the New South Wales Ambulance Service would send a ground-based response and that that would be New South Wales Ambulance's responsibility and that the New South Wales Police would deal with their search and rescue side of it as well. By contrast to the RCC, the police sergeant reported he understood his role was to provide police assistance with coordination of the helicopter landing only. And so that they had not established any kind of search and rescue assistance or what was known as a vertical rescue asset, which I assume means people who abseil. Yeah, sounds but like I, people who are able to help in that respect. But I was like, yeah. that is a term I guess you could use. Yeah. <laughs> Why do they have to make things um, so complicated with their terminology anyway? Yeah, and so the police sergeant was waiting for the RCC to tell him if they wanted a search and rescue team specifically and so hence nothing was deployed Mm. from their side versus the SCAT coordinator for New South Wales Ambulance Service who I add was not experienced in aeromedical emergency missions himself also initially felt that just a helicopter and the two paramedics was sufficient and so hence didn't feel the need to send out ground response. Following further communication from Rescue 24 only after they initially landed at that paddock did that SCAT coordinator then accept, okay, ground response should also happen, but then never communicated that to Rescue 24. So they were never aware that any kind of ground response was ever happening. Right. And so that may have added to the pressures for them that they were like, well, no one's coming to help us, so let's just get this done. We're the only ones here, so we've got to get it done. Yeah, and I wonder if that had any impact on the we've got to do it tonight Mm. before it gets dark. Yep. So the coroner found that there was a lack of effective communication between the three involved organisations and that had other rescue specialists been on the ground, that the plan would have probably been different. Additionally, the coroner felt that they should have handed over to the police sooner, the RCC, as this would have likely resulted in a more coordinated rescue effort. Hence, the coroner recommended in the future early handover by the RCC of coordination of PLB activation responses to the New South Wales Police following that initial investigation step that they would do so that coordinated land-based rescue efforts could occur. And this had already essentially been formalised at the point that the coronial inquest was released, with the coroner stating that there was a memorandum of understanding that had been established between these three organisations. Additionally, the New South Wales Ambulance Service now mandated an immediate ground-based response when rescue helicopters are tasked to undertake beacon activation responses as 
well as rescue missions in similar circumstances that are liable to involve difficult helicopter access such as canyon responses in the future as well. Okay, so the plan and the rescue response, as I mentioned, it was discussed with both the team that were on site but a number and that ultimately the coroner was like, someone should have said no. Mm-hmm. And that those that were at the inquest offended not doing that because they said that, well, even if we didn't think it was entirely suitable, we had to trust the people that were there. And then the coroner also stated that, you know, there was no backup plan ever really discussed. To me, I'm like, well, there was a backup. The plan was that they would just stay on the ledge Wait overnight. Until yeah. Yeah. But I think the coroner sort of meant in terms of if once he got down there, the stabilizing line wasn't going to be suitable or, mm. or, you know, something changed along the way, what was the plan? It was ultimately reported during the inquest that the plan devised by the crew was technically very challenging and involved significant risk. It was also determined that the stability line was inappropriate and unapproved for use during helicopter winching procedures. Additionally, it was identified that according to the standard operating procedure for the helicopter company, this plan should have required permission from their chief pilot. And even then, the plan was a significant departure from this winching procedure. The coroner stated, certainly with the benefits of hindsight, it was a plan that should never have been attempted, even in daylight. So even without the added pressure of the darkness. Hmm. Concerns stated by the coroner that should have been discussed when developing this plan included... If the canyoner's condition was not critical or life-threatening, whether the plan needed to proceed. A clear plan of how Mr. Wilson was going to establish the stabilizing line, including type and location of the anchor for the line and the weight expected to be carried by the line versus the winching cable. And so there were some discussions about the winching cable could take a much higher weight than the stabilizing line. And by the time you add two people on it, you know, is there a risk the stabilizing line would have failed because of their combined weights so then could you be using the winching cable to take some of that weight, even if it's at that 45-degree angle, which it wasn't recognised to be suitable for? The other thing that they should have discussed was the expected distance to the canyoner the helicopter was expected to hover over and how this would have affected those angles as well around the, the winch being able to work. So they ended up being lower than expected, which increased that angle to 45 degrees versus if they'd been higher, it could have been a lesser angle. Mm-hmm. And would that have affected the pendulum swinging and the ability of the winch to be operational? Yep. Other concerns that were noted during the inquest included that the hoist operator, this was his first rescue operation with this crew and the first time using this specific winch on the helicopter. Additionally, Mr. Wilson was also not up to date with training for the proposed procedure the crew were adapting for this extraction, but he didn't really go into detail how often do they do this training? How expired was his training? How much of an effect does that actually have? Yeah, because he was already trained. He didn't need to do that extra training. Was he due to do it sometime soon? So it was out of date. So technically yeah. he, he should have, but he knows how to abseil. He knows how to do a lot of this stuff, but yeah. I guess it just goes to that sort of, okay, well, but he made this plan based on this thing that he may not have been the most up to date with. Yeah, gotcha. And then, yeah, finally highlighted that despite the fact that everyone said this shouldn't happen after dark, they still went in at 8.20 p.m. Mm. Mm. I feel like as sort of as soon as Mr. Wilson got down there and saw that the patient was okay, you know, he was in his overnight gear already. Yeah. Potentially should have just stayed there. At that point, yeah. Yeah, because it was only going to get darker. Yeah. 
But I can see why you would also want to get him out. and like, Especially at that time, like Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. and as the patient like, as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, can you can please? Can I bail, please? Yeah. And it sounded like a pretty horrible location for him to be. It was a wet ledge Yeah, halfway down a canyon. Doesn't sound like it was a particularly big ledge. They were getting sprayed by water. It wouldn't have been a particularly pleasant location for them to have stayed overnight. Yeah. But I imagine it was better than other alternatives, i.e. the one that happened. Yeah. So. But I guess that's hindsight. hindsight, Mm. Yeah. So the coroner recommended there be a review of the helicopter winching operations. And since the inquest, the New South Wales Ambulance has introduced annual integrated, holistic, scenario-based crew training with a dedicated SCAT training coordinator as well. So a new position created there. And then they're also in the process, or they were at the time of the inquest release, in the process of developing a helicopter winch simulator Mm-hmm. Which That's cool. sound fun. Yeah. Additionally, new phones were purchased for the SCAT paramedics to reduce communication issues that, as I discussed, although admittedly, if you drop it in water and it stops yeah. working. Maybe they got some more waterproof ones. Yeah, I, like, well, potentially some sort of case. What are the what are the phones you get for that when you're in the middle of uh, satellite phones? Satellite like, phones, yeah. they're usually pretty hardy. Yeah, and so presumably you can get some casings for them as well mm. because they're designed for exactly those kinds of instances yeah. where you know, it could get wet or it could get dropped, it could get broken, etc. So, yes, but they were planning to do that. And they're also trialling a new helmet system that was being developed. So, as I said, there was no report of the helmet being any kind of major issue, but they mm. did state that they're, in fact, developing some new helmets as well. Mm. They were also reviewing that SCAT activation officer or coordinator to ensure that they have adequate training. So, as I mentioned he himself wasn't trained in the aeromedical procedures and so assumed that an aeromedical service alone was going to be adequate without truly understanding that side of it. Mm. And then the coroner sort of said, well, maybe in your standard operating procedures as well for all of this, you should consider implementation of a pause point methodology where you can have appropriate points where you would stop and reassess whether the plan going forward is appropriate. Or whether you should say, actually, we're going to call it here and wait and reassess again later. Yep. Such as many steps in that where they went, okay, we can't get him from here. I mean, they went and landed in the paddock. That was one pause point, right? Yeah. They didn't start straight away and be like, well, let's figure it out while we're doing it. Yep. But yeah, there could have been points along the way. So finally, they then also went into trying to establish how he actually came off the ledge because no one could see anything. I sort of think it could be as simple as it was a wet ledge and they slipped. Pretty much one of the options that the coroner came yeah. to. He just fell yeah, and that happened. So as I said, the Indian canyoner obviously was there and a witness but had goggles on. He said that there was a lot of spray coming on so they were essentially he, – he didn't see anything pretty quickly after they went on and he also had earplugs in as well. So he couldn't really hear much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And whilst he technically was a witness, didn't actually – wasn't able to provide super much detail as to what had happened. Yeah, and it's also dark and there's a helicopter above you. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of visibility. And, and he's also strapped hearing. to Mr. Wilson. I don't know if he was legs wrapped around or legs facing out. So, again, was he just staring at Mr. Wilson's chest? Possibly. Like really yeah. like a little koala or something. Yeah, it yeah. didn't really describe which way he was. But to me it makes logical sense that he was legs wrapped around Mr. Wilson. yeah. And so it was probably just looking at Mr. Wilson the whole time. Mm. The helicopter was in communication with Mr. Wilson. The last time they were able to communicate with him was when he said it was suitable for them to start descending for the retrieval. 
And following this, they weren't really able to communicate because it was too loud for him to use the radio system because they were yeah. overhead making the noise. And also they didn't have communication between the paramedic at the top and yeah. Mr Wilson because their phones weren't working. So the paramedic at the top couldn't communicate with anyone because he had no phone now. Yeah. I don't think he would have been able to see Mr Wilson come off the, the no, he ledge like, either. What's going on? And so they would have cut oh, the winch. Wow. That person would have just been like, what they've cut happening? a winch, they've not removed anyone and the helicopter's flown away. That, Yeah. Not a good position to be in. Yeah, at that point you'd be like, something has gone horribly wrong, yeah. but yeah. I don't know what. And has no phone signal. And then what so does he do? Like, what has to stand, be like, like, hope someone's coming back. I, I understand yeah. why he abseiled down. Yeah. And there was also lots of noise, obviously, from the waterfall beside them yeah. as well. Yeah. Communication was just rough all around. So some of the possibilities of the way that he could have fallen off the ledge was just to heat. He just accidentally slipped. Mm-hmm. But the other questions that they wanted to look into was, could the weight of the winch pull him off the ledge? So with that cable coming out, it being slack, going below the level of them because the mm. winch operator couldn't see where it was mm. going in relation to them, could it have become heavy and actually become a pull to and pull him off the ledge? Yeah. Could it be that while he was setting up the belay line or the stabilising line or whatever that he fell as a result of that or a combination of all of these things? So when they looked into where was everything, there was no evidence that he'd actually set up a belay line. The rope that he was supposed to have used for the belay line remained within his bag and then the rope that he'd used to pull the winch towards him remained on the ledge that he fell off of. Mm -hmm. There was a sort of question about could he have switched and just used the rope that he already had out of the bag but there was no anchor point that they could find to suggest that he had that belay line anchored anywhere. Mm -hmm. So the next question was like could he have just tried to use an anchor line wrapped around a stable object as an alternative option as well. But there was no evidence of that either. But it seems weird to me that he would have called the helicopter down if he wasn't ready with a belay line. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me as to why the helicopter would have come down at that point if he wasn't ready. Yeah, it kind of sounds like maybe he had reassessed and decided, I don't know, they didn't need the belay line. Like maybe he had changed the plan. Yeah, but he still did because that 45 degrees was still way too much for him. So ultimately, they couldn't really establish what had happened. So the other person, I guess, witness to this was the winch operator who also stated that he was having a lot of trouble seeing. There were points where he couldn't see Mr. Wilson. He had stated that he thought that Mr. Wilson did, in fact, have the belay line out, had that established, Mm. but he was talking about the red rope, which ended up being the one that was found in Mr. Wilson's bag. Right. So they're like, we can't reconcile that that is, in fact, what happened either. Yeah, the rope didn't coil itself back up. And get put yeah. back in his back. And so they couldn't establish exactly how all of this went down. Right. And so then the New South Wales Ambulance Service provided all that extra detail around all the things that they have done to try and improve their operations and a couple of those suggestions to improve the coordination. But ultimately it was just a plan that, shouldn't have gone ahead in the first place Mm. that needed better steps and policies and procedures to try to prevent it in the first place but that they were doing because as we've said all the pressures around 24th of December around wanting to get him out of what was a less than ideal location to be in Mm. and all that kind of stuff that drove them to just press on which unfortunately meant that this accident occurred Mm. didn't go the way I thought it was going to no I like that you foreshadowed my pendulum problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it turns out that was the wrong idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, do not do that. That was the wrong solution. Wrong solution because, yeah, because it's a canyon so there's stuff on the other side. 
that they could crash into. No one go canyoning. <laughs> I really was not. I didn't know it was a thing until now. I and see. I like abseiling, but yeah, stuff like this where I'm like, the rope failed. It sounds like the canyoner was doing the right things. You know, you can go abseiling in places where people abseil there all the time, and so everything's still set up. If that yeah. makes sense. Whereas yeah. these guys would be having to set up their own. Yeah, yeah, they're doing equipment. all of their own stuff along the way, and it's in a remote location that's difficult yep. to access, etc. It's not super remote. It's only an hour and a half out of Sydney, but. Yes, it's not somewhere that's mm. easily accessible. And it's kind of interesting, I guess, because would this have happened if they didn't have the emergency beacon? They would have had to have relied on the uninjured canyoner getting out of there and going to get help, by which point it probably would have been dark. Yeah. So they never would have attempted yeah, yeah. A, an air-based rescue. Well, I think there would have been more of a – if it's safe for us to abseil down in the dark, we'll get down there and yep. then we'll assess. And we'll assess, yep. Because we don't know how we're going to winch otherwise because we can't see anything well, to know exactly. how safe it's going to be. And so no, I would assume no winching plan would have been made in the first place yeah. because they wouldn't have known where he was located. Exactly. I guess you can... I mean, the canyoner would then bring them back, but he, you wouldn't necessarily be able to figure that out from the air. Well, you might be able to bring the helicopter with like some sort of really big spotlight or whatever. But again, I still assume it was after dark and so the pilot would have been like, no. Yeah, so happening. they just wouldn't have even got in the helicopter. Yeah. They would have gone yeah. ground So you're instead. saying actually having the emergency beacon was a, a negative in this instance? Possibly. Who knows? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's always a what if. Well, that's the thing as well when they were talking about needing more ground-based cover and, and more people on scene and all that kind of stuff, would that have changed? But I think the uh, like the argument is just it would have changed because there would have been more voices being like, are we sure this is a good yep. idea? And maybe some different ideas from people who had, like because clearly this paramedic had the experience. Yeah. So, and so he had an idea and there was no one else who had the same level of experience to suggest a different idea. Yeah. And they would have just been like, well, I'm only the helicopter pilot. I don't know anything about extracting people. I will go take your lead. And I think he was, yeah, being heroic about just being like, yeah, it's fine. I can winch him out. Like this Yeah, we can fine. get him out. I can get myself directly below the helicopter. It'll be fine. Mm. And then, yeah, I think it's, you know, unfortunate that there was the inexperienced winching operator that, again, maybe more experienced winching operator would be like, that's not possible. That's going to risk a pendulum swing. Let's not do that. Yep. I agree, though, in terms of like you didn't think that's the way it was going to go up until I read. And then he swung like a pendulum. I was like, oh. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely had that moment of like not expecting it to get there. Yeah. But agreed, not going canyoning is just a good choice. Yeah, Yeah. that's my preferred. (laughs) Look at the waterfall from below or from above. Don't go to try and. Yep, don't traverse them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for hanging out and listening i hope you have a wonderful christmas wonderful new year's and i hope you stay safe absolutely we look forward to having you back next year thanks Thanks, everyone everyone. Bye. Bye. bye